Virtually everything we do in life requires some preparation, even when it comes to the kingdom. Our king is coming, and we need to prepare ourselves and the people around us for that coming. So today we're going to look at the first Palm Sunday for a moment, and we're going to see how Jesus prepared the people around him. If you have your Bibles, I'll be in Matthew chapter 21. So we look today, Matthew 21, at Pray So Grow, Kingdom Preparation. Kingdom Preparation. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Father, for your word, your Holy Spirit. Teach us what you want to know from it today, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we have in the events of the triumphal entry is really a microcosm of the future kingdom of Christ when he returns. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at the second coming of Christ. But here we see a glimpse into the future in Matthew 21. As Jesus entered Jerusalem one final time before the end of his earthly life. Never in the 30 years prior had the nation of Israel given him the recognition and praise he deserved. This was their long-awaited king. This was the king of whom the prophets like Zechariah had foretold, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout! O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what happened on the first Palm Sunday of what we call Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The story begins in Bethphage. Now, located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, Bethphage was on the way from Bethany to Jerusalem. Remember, a friend of Jesus lived in Bethany. Do you remember who he was? Lazarus. The name Bethphage is derived from Aramaic, from the Aramaic Bet and Paji, meaning Bet house and Paji house and Paji figs. So Bethphage meant house of figs. It was derived, the name was derived because or came to be because of the abundance of figs in the area. Jesus was headed for Jerusalem for the week that would change the world. Jerusalem would mean the cross for him. But before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he would show the people of his day and show us through the record in the Scriptures a glimpse of the worship he will receive in his future kingdom. So in preparation, the king sent two of his disciples into a village the village of Bethphage, to find a means of transportation. Let's look at these verses. Verse 1, verse 1 through 3. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send him. So in Jewish thinking, the Lord was the owner of everything, and we are the stewards of his creation. The king has a right to ask anything of us. He's the right to take anything we possess, even even our livestock. So Jesus, owning all things and knowing all things, sent his disciples into a village to commandeer a man's donkey a man whose heart was already prepared to give the king whatever he wanted. Mark gives us a little more detail on what the disciples found. Listen to Mark's account. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? 
And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go, and then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and Jesus sat upon it. Now, as Lord and King, Jesus has the right to all of creation, and certainly He has the right to any of our possessions. Matthew identified Jesus as the prophesied King when he wrote in Matthew 21, verses 4 through 5. He said, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. From our kingdom study, most of the kingdom passages are found in Matthew's gospel. We've been looking a lot at Matthew because Matthew was the disciple who most wanted to communicate the truth that Jesus was the rightful king of Israel. John also understood this important truth. John wrote, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. The gospel writers, listen, the gospel writers did not give us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John while the, th- the events were happening. It was several years later, as they were fulfilling the Great Commission, as they were taking the gospel to the world and sowing kingdom seeds. That's when the Holy Spirit moved upon these men to write these gospels. He brought to their remembrance the things that Jesus said and did. And that's why we have such a difference in the gospels. They are written from each writer's point of view. Now here Matthew and John want us to know that this Palm Sunday event, this first Palm Sunday, this kingdom celebration, was in fulfillment of the prophet of prophecy of Zechariah. In this prophecy, Jesus is identified as the king of a group of people. Well, which people? Well, Zion is the hill upon which the temple sat, upon which Jerusalem was built. And the daughter of Zion refers to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Let's look at Zechariah's prophecy again. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, let me ask you, to whom is the king coming? To the daughters of Zion and the daughters of Jerusalem, the Jewish people. What is he bringing? Salvation. He is is just in having salvation. How is He coming? Lowly, meek, riding upon a donkey. And what is the reaction of the people when He rides through the gates of Jerusalem? That's what we see in verses 6 through 9. Look at Matthew again. Matthew 21. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set Him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, just imagine this celebration. Jesus did not often receive the glory and honor He was due. But here on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem, He did. 
Everything was prepared for his entry into Jerusalem as the hearts of the people were captured by the king. Just imagine the celebration. It was Passover. And many Jews were making that pilgrimage to Jerusalem, including those from Galilee, where Jesus was from. The people were honoring Jesus as the rightful king of Israel, the son of David from Isaiah's prophecy. Remember Isaiah? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Read that next sentence. Upon the throne of who? David. And over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Everything was ready. The donkey's owner had given King Jesus his coat to ride. The disciples had given King Jesus their clothing as a saddle blanket. The people had given King Jesus their clothing as a path to honor him. The multitudes were giving King Jesus the worship he is due, calling him Son of David. Praying, Hoshienu, Hosanna, which means save us now as they followed him to Jerusalem. It was, a true, it was truly a kingdom celebration. And then John adds an important piece of news to the, of information to the celebration. In verses 12 and 13 of John 12, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. As I said at the beginning of this message, this is a glimpse of what will happen in the future when King Jesus returns to earth to set up his kingdom. His people will truly celebrate as the King of Kings returns. The preparation... The preparation for His Jerusalem entrance the first time are good for the next time. Notice what happened. The announcement that the Son of God, the Son of David has come. That's good for the next time. The prayer of Hosanna, save us now. The offering of all possessions to Jesus. The waving of palm branches to welcome the warrior king. Wait a minute now. Wait, palm branches? Warrior king? The people waved palm branches because that's how they welcomed a warrior king. Well, that's the difference between the past and the future. What the people in that day did not understand was that palm branches were used to welcome Jewish warriors back from battle, like the Maccabees when they led revolts against the Romans. That's the difference between the first and second advents of our Lord the first time He came, He was meek and lowly and gave His life for us to pay the penalty for our sins. He died and shed His blood on the cross for us the first time. The first time He came, the Lord Jesus came to save us spiritually, to save all who would receive Him into their lives. The first time He came, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem to make way for us to enter His kingdom. But the next time He comes, He will not ride a donkey but a white horse. The next time He comes, He will not be crowned with thorns, but with many crowns. The next time He comes, the armies of heaven will follow Him to conquer this earth. The next time He comes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. Hallelujah. That didn't happen the first time at His ad first advent. The Lord Jesus did not come on the first time to destroy every evil person on earth. He came to offer evil people forgiveness and eternal life. The crowd was worked up that day, but notice what happened when Jesus entered Jerusalem to offer Himself 
as the king of Israel, the Messiah. Look at verses 10 and 11. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. The people of Jerusalem did not know Jesus. All those miracles, they did not, still did not know Jesus. He had fed more than 10,000 people with just a little bit of food. He had healed the blind. He had healed the deaf, the lame, the leper. He had even raised several from the dead, including Lazarus. Yet he comes to Jerusalem, and they don't even know him. He came to Jerusalem during the Passover to be the Passover Lamb of God, and the crowds had to ask, Who is this man? And those who were waving the branches and laying down their clothing and dancing and celebrating, all they could say is, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Standing before these people was the one who created the world and hung the stars in space. And all they could say was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. What a huge miss. Well, let me ask you a question. If someone asked you, who is this? What would you say? Would you say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth? Or would you say something more? Just who is Jesus to you? How do you honor Jesus? Do you honor Him as King of your life? Surrendering everything to Him? Or do you give Him just the things you don't need? How do you introduce Jesus to people? Do you say anything for Jesus? Are you sowing kingdom seeds each day? Each day, folks, you don't have to have a pray so grow book to sow kingdom seeds. We're all responsible for making Jesus known. How would you introduce someone to Jesus? Is He just a prophet to you? Or is He your Savior? If someone asked you, who is Jesus, what would you say? Is Jesus just a religious figure to you, or is He the God and Lord of all creation? Friends, we need to get our story straight. Because if we're ever going to convince the world, we have to get our story straight. I know Jesus. Not because He's a figure in the Bible, but because He's the King of my heart. I believe the words of... The, I believed when I was a little boy. I believed the words of this gospel. When, I, when people I knew sowed kingdom seeds into my heart, they took root, and I believed what I heard. But today, I have experienced Jesus. He's been my healer when I was sick, my comforter when I was in pain, my guide when I didn't know the way, my provider when I didn't have enough, my best friend in the world. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't mind telling the world about my Jesus. So how about you? What could you tell your world about Jesus? How prepared for Jesus to rule and reign in your life are you today? Are you as excited about King Jesus coming to live in your heart and life as those people who were waving branches and casting their clothes on the way? Let me tell you an exciting truth. This very same Jesus we see in this story is coming again. Hallelujah. And the next time He comes, He won't be the Passover Lamb of God. He will be the conquering warrior king. The people of that day were all mixed up. They didn't understand the meek nature of Jesus. They wanted Him to be the warrior king then, to defeat their enemies, restore Israel to her place as a major world power. Their prayers for salvation. Hoshenu! Save us now. We're for the nation, not for their personal sins. They wanted a hero, not a savior. They wanted a strong political leader, not a kind, gentle Messiah who taught them to love God and love your enemies. People today still want the same thing. They want a hero. They want a political leader. They're not looking for Jesus. So Jesus had to do another work of preparation, a work of cleansing, a rearranging 
to focus our minds and hearts on spiritual things. Verse 12 through 14. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made the den of thieves. Then the blind and lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. The temple in Jerusalem was far different in that day than it, has been, it had been in Israel's past. The temple had been redesigned by King Herod with a number of courts welcoming certain classes of people. The temple was considered a holy place and became more holy far, the farther you went. So the closer you got to the Holy of Holies at the center, that's the holiest place. And then they said it gets less holy as you move out. The Holy of Holies, the most sacred place on earth, where, which housed the Ark of the Covenant where the blood of sacrifices was sprinkled each year as atonement for sin. The temple in Herod's day had been redone. It had four major courts. The court of the priests, the court of the men of Israel, the court of the women, and farther out, the court of the Gentiles. The outer court of the Gentiles was the only place Gentiles could worship in the temple. It had previously been outside the temple, but King Herod had it surrounded by columns and made it part of the temple. Again, the Gentiles were expressly excluded from anywhere else in the temple, and there were terrible penalties for crossing into the other courts. In fact, warning signs, were, were they threatened the Gentiles. They were all over the place threatening the Gentiles for crossing into a different zone. It was in the Gentile court that the money changers sat, exchanging money for the pilgrims who attended worship, selling sacrifices for worship. Just think about it for a moment. The Gentile court, designed to keep the Gentiles away from the holiest place, was a place that had become filled with tables and chairs and animal pens. And anyone who entered the temple walked through and did their commercial business in the court of the Gentiles before they went to the other courts. How could anybody pray in the Gentile courtyard? With all that commotion, how could anybody worship God in that courtyard or, or recognize Jesus? They couldn't. Instead of being a place of worship, it was a place of business transactions, a place of banking, exchanging the various currencies brought for the temple tax into acceptable temp temple shekels. The sound of the money, the sound of the animals, the sound of the bargaining, all the noise, noise, noise. No one could hear God and really... The Jews looked down in disgust at the Gentiles, so the priests didn't care if the Gentiles came to the temple or not. They didn't care about helping anybody worship. It's no wonder Jesus disrupted their practice and turned over the tables. Man had defiled the temple with his own business instead of God worship. So Jesus quoted two passages from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord Jeremiah 7, 11, Isaiah, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, even the Gentiles. For three years, Jesus had spent so much time and energy teaching the truths of God's holy word, teaching the people to love God with all their hearts and love their neighbors, teaching them the importance of faith in God and worship, sharing the good news with others. Thousands of people were following Jesus that had previously been living in the darkness of sin now. They were following Him in through the eastern gate into Jerusalem, into the temple where they could grow in their faith. What did they find when they entered the temple? But a bunch of noise and commercialism and anything but God. There could be no spiritual growth here. Friends, most of us here today are Gentiles. 
And I'm glad Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple is not, I'm glad it's gone. And that I don't have to go there and travel there to worship God. I'm glad Jesus made a new covenant. And that the temple of God is now within each and every believer. But just as the court of the Gentiles was defiled, so you and I can defile our temples by allowing sins and cares of life to creep into our courtyards and capture our attention. If we open ourselves to Satan, you can be sure he will confuse us and contaminate us and do everything possible to keep these temples from becoming the holy places of prayer and worship that they were designed to be through the new birth. Let me ask you, what do you do in your temple to the Holy Spirit. What is going on in your temple today? Is there prayer and worship going on in your temple? Or is there everything but prayer and worship? Paul said, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? As I said, there's, there's no Jerusalem temple. So where can pilgrims, searching people, looking, who wanted to know something better than this old life. Where can they go to find the Lord Jesus and grow in the Lord? They should be able to come to the temples of the Lord, to you and me, and find Jesus. They should be able to look at our lives and pattern their own walk with God after our walk with God. If they can't, then perhaps we need to see what is in our outer, your outer courtyard going on and get rid of it. Jesus had to drive some things out of the temple in Jerusalem. What do, you, what do you need for Jesus to drive out of your temple so that people can find Him through your life and testimony? The Lord Jesus saved you, friends, to pray, sow, and grow. And the more you grow, the more you will sow, and the more God can use you to fill His kingdom. And if you're not praying and sowing, then you're not growing. And you're not, your temple's not doing what God designed it for. As believers... That's the purpose for which we live, to help others get into His kingdom. And that will not happen unless we first clean up and clean out our own temples. But when we do, then the Lord Jesus can do something wonderful with us. He can save and heal and help just as He did after He cleansed the temple in Jerusalem. So when everything was really prepared for, for Jesus, then notice what verse 14 says. Will you read this with me? Then the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple, and He did what? He did what? He healed them. Did you notice the first word? What's the first word of that sentence? Then. Then those who needed Him found Him. Friends, there's a lot of people in our world who need Jesus. A whole lot of people. And God has placed you in your world, and He's placed me in my world, and it's important that we keep ourselves close to Jesus, keep spiritually growing so we can help others grow. We need to keep our temples clean. We must keep watching for those opportunities God gives us to bless someone else and help them prepare their hearts for Jesus. That's why the little kingdom seed tally is so important, folks. It's important. It's real important because, you see, I know how many seeds I sow. But when I see you sowing those seeds, hey, that's when, when I see you sowing those seeds, that means you're honoring Jesus with your temple. And that's exciting to me. That encourages me as a pastor. That means together, you and I, we are being used by the Lord, Jesus, to prepare this world for His coming. 
to build His kingdom. That's our kingdom principle. Let's read it together. You ready? Go. When we sow for the kingdom, we grow more like our King. Now that's the importance of praying and sowing, that we might grow in our faith and love for Jesus and our usefulness to Jesus so that we become more like Him. If we're not growing, we cannot help others sow and grow. It begins with a heart that is prepared for our King. What a wonderful Savior we have. He's wonderful, folks. He's always thinking of you. Always. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and His ears open to their cry. He's always watching you because He loves you. I'm sure Jesus was exhausted from that trip and that turmoil in the temple. But He still took time to heal the hurts of others. Aren't you glad He takes time for you? He spent... He has taken time for me. I've required a lot of my Father in Heaven's time. In fact, it's been tough for Him to make me me more like Jesus, i got to tell you. And He's still working on me to make me more like Him, to give me a heart like His. And let's face it, we have one opportunity to get this right. Did you hear me? We have one opportunity to get this right. One lifetime and no more. Jesus has told each and every one of us who follow Him to pray, sow, and grow, to produce fruit that honors Him. And if we don't do it, then we not only miss a blessing, we fail Him. It's that serious. Look at this last last verse while we go, before we go. Verse 18. Now in the morning, as Jesus returned to the city, He was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, He came to it and He found, what did He find there? Nothing but the leaves. And he said to that fig tree, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. The leaves withered. Have you ever seen fig trees? Big leaves. Immediately all the leaves withered. All this preparation, the wonderful celebration on the road, the powerful cleansing of the temple, the merciful healing of the people. And after that, when that fig tree could have supplied the need of a Savior who was looking for fruit, it was fruitless. The leaves were big and green, but the figs were missing. It looked like a fruitful tree. It had everything it needed to grow and bear fruit for the king, but it failed him. Is that you? Are you the fig tree? Is that your Christian life? Fruitless? How many life, listen, answer me. How many lifetimes do you have to grow and produce fruit for Jesus? How many lifetimes? What are you doing with that lifetime? I know what each of us should be doing. We should be living that lifetime for Jesus, praying, sowing, growing for His kingdom. I heard a beautiful little story. Listen to this. It's called Jesus Knocking. A nurse on the pediatric ward, before listening to the little one's heartbeat, would plug the stethoscope into their ears and let that little child listen to their own heartbeat. Their eyes would always light up with awe, but she never got a response to equal four-year-old David's comment. She tucked the stethoscope gently into his ears, placed the disc over his heart. She said, listen. What do you suppose that is? He drew his little eyebrows together in a puzzled look. He looked up as if he was lost in the mystery of the strange tap, tap, tapping deep in his chest. 
And then his face broke out in a wonderful grin, and he asked the nurse, Is that Jesus knocking? In everything we do and say before others, it should make them think about Jesus. It should be, when they look at us and hear us, it should be like Jesus knocking on the door of their heart. Our lives should be a glimpse of His kingdom. Where people see our fruit for Jesus, our love for Jesus through our worship, through our giving, through our sharing with others the good news of His kingdom. People around us, when they see us coming, they should be saying, Blessed is he or she who's coming in the name of the Lord. Save us now. Would you bow with me? Now let's ask ourselves this question. Each one of us. How many people are moved by my Christian life? How many people are being moved toward Jesus through me? When I speak, how many people are hearing Jesus speak through me? Folks, when you enter a room, do the people say, there's really something different about you, something good about that person? This past week, did you see, did anybody see evidence of Jesus and His kingdom hope in your life? Did they hear anything from you? If not, something needs to come out of your temple. Maybe it's too much you and not enough Jesus. Busyness, laziness, a rotten attitude, a grudge, a bad habit, unfaithfulness, hatefulness. That's, those are things Satan clutters up our temple with. Let Jesus cleanse you and prepare you for His kingdom right now. Why don't you, dear Christian, ask Jesus to come in and clean out your temple. Just ask Him right now. Maybe you're lost, you don't know Jesus, and you need Him in your heart and life. Would you receive Him? Do you want Him to come in? He's knocking. He's knocking. He's probably been knocking a long time. Have you turned Him away? Are you ready to open wide that door of your life? Those people put down their clothes for Jesus. What would you put down for Jesus? You've got to put everything. Be willing to give Him everything. All your past, your hang-ups, your habits, your anything, your sin. You've got to give it all to Him. Your possessions, everything's got to belong to Jesus. Would you say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to be my Savior. I've been doing a pretty miserable job, Jesus, with my own life. I need you to take over. Right now, Jesus, would you forgive me for my sins? Would you clean all the mess out of my life? Would you come in, Jesus, and take over? Would you come in and be my Savior and my King? Right now, I just bow my heart and my life before you, and I give you everything I am and everything I have. And Jesus, I tell you, I want you more than anything. So come in, Jesus.
Transform me so that I am never the same again and be my Savior forever. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Boy, if you meant that with God, Jesus came in. If you meant it, but if you meant it, some things will change, like your desire for what was most important in life. Lord, whatever anyone needs to do today, whatever your Holy Spirit has said to them, I pray that they will do it. That God, that we'll be listening, we'll be watching, that we'll be fruitful for you, for your kingdom. We want you, Father, to be real proud of us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing together without him. I'll be at the bottom here to help you and pray with you if you need me to. Without him I could do nothing. 